Well, good morning and welcome to Grace. I'm Pastor Ryan. Today's message is not a very popular one either. However, it's a crucial one in determining who receives the glory for our salvation. Does it belong to God alone or are we owed a portion of his glory? Does God effect salvation to the believer or is there a set of rules that we must accomplish before we are declared righteous before his throne? Today's message looks at the core emphasis of Paul's command to rejoice in the Lord as we examine this paramount issue of God's glory. Anybody here afraid to fly? Be honest now. Not too many. You guys are used to it. I remember when I was young, I was um, a little bit afraid to fly because we didn't fly too often. And then uh, through into adulthood, uh, one of the things that I'll do when I get on an airplane is I always come up with a plan. Anybody else like me? I, I come up with a plan. All right, now if the plane's going to go down, here's what I'm going to do. I'm a, every time they're, they're you know, saying, here are the exits, look behind you because it may be... I'm looking behind you all those times, right? Most people have their headphones on not listening, but I'm coming up with a plan. And here's my plan, right? I'm going to put my, uh, my tray table up and duck and cover. <laughs> Who thinks that's going to help? At all, when the plane goes down. I mean, even just the laws of physics with momentum will teach you that a plane's going down, putting your tray table up is probably not going to save you. Um, but I still think through, what would I do? And I look for the exits, and I remember where my seat cushion is a flotation device, and I, I think through all the things that I would do first if something like that were to happen, even though there is no, there's nothing that you could really do. Uh, what good is holding your seat cushion going to do? What good is putting the tray table up going to do? I can do everything right, right? I can do everything just perfect. And yet the plane is going to crash. You know, apart from a miracle, um, I, there's nothing that I or you could do. Here's the thing. You and I, we live in a world that's like a plane that's going down. There's nothing that you can do. However, there's a lot of people who tend to think that they're going to come up with a plan. And they're holding on to things that really are, are, are figments of their imagination. They're, they're, they're really these, these small type of um, worthless things that they think will save them on that day. And, and they won't. When uh, you poll people, um, and you maybe have seen some of these. Uh, Barna Research Group did a survey asking folks if you were... Uh, to die and uh, face God in judgment and he were to say, why would I let you into heaven? Um, that the overwhelming majority of people when asked, are you a good person? Do you know what they say? In this country, do people think they're good? Yes. 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 Yeah. Are you a good person? Yeah, I'm a good person. I, oh, sure, I'll have these few things that I do, but you know, I'm, I'm a decent guy. And, I, and then they, they come up with their list. Right? I go, oh, I go to church. Or I used to go to church. I sometimes go to church. Um, I pay my tithes, though, right? Send them in. At least I try to. You know, I'm a good person. You know, help people. Uh, nothing out of the ordinary. And, and, and this line of thinking is a deceptive fallacy for security and safety on this side of heaven. The plane's going down. What good is going to church going to do for you? What good is putting money in a plate going to do for you? You need a miracle. You need somebody to get you off the plane. There's a passage that I kind of want to begin with. It's in Mark's Gospel. Could you turn there with me? We're in Philippians is where we're going to be, but I want to preface this with an example on this same idea. 
of how do you get to heaven? And what is it that you need to do? It's in Mark chapter 10. And the story that you may have there is titled, at least in my Bible, a rich uh, or the rich young man. <clears throat> Starts in verse 17. That's page 1570 in the Pew Bibles. And I, I'd encourage you, pull, pull a Bible out. And I want you to see this. Um, I, I actually have it up here on the screen as well, if you prefer to read up here. It's kind of tiny font, but if you have your Bibles, look with me there. Mark 10, verse 17. Mark says, as Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him, fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked. What must I do to inherit eternal life? This guy had his list. He wanted to make sure he wasn't missing anything. I, I, I got my whole list. I've been going to church. I grew up in the church. I give to the church. I've been baptized. Right? Th- th- these are the things that we think are going to achieve for us eternal life. He wants to make sure he's not missing anything. Jesus says, why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, do not defraud and honor your father and your mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I've kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything that you have, give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around. He said to his disciples, how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? You you caught his list, right? What if we were to give a rundown on this list? Um, How many folks did you murder this morning? Anybody? Um, Who was fighting with their spouse this morning? No hands go up. I'm the only one honest in church today. (laughs) Jesus says that you've heard that it says thou shalt not murder. But I say to you, any one of you that harbors bitterness, anger in your heart, anger towards your brother, declare to him, you fool, you will be guilty of judgment. Anyone ever been angry with somebody before? So Jesus would call you a murderer in your heart. Uh, Do not commit adultery. That was number two. The Pharisees loved being able to declare, I'm innocent, innocent of that. And Jesus says, you've heard that it's been said, thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say to you, anyone who has lust in his heart towards a woman has already committed adultery where? In his heart. Anyone guilty today? Oh, come on now. Church, not not in Segola. Do not steal is the next one. You ever taken something from somebody that didn't belong to you, even if it was small? Well, what do you call somebody who takes things that aren't theirs? What do you call them? You call them a thief. Do not give false testimony. That's a fancy way of saying don't lie. Everyone, anyone ever tell a lie? Even as little, anybody? What do you call someone who tells lies? Call them a liar. Do not defraud. A uh, fancy way of saying, uh, don't, don't uh, cheat other people. Honor your father and mother. How how, we do, how you doing on your list this morning, folks? 
the plane's going down, and I hope you're recognizing that the things that maybe you have put on your list really aren't going to make any difference at all. Uh, that's why this morning uh, we're going to look at this as probably in what I would deem in the top 10 most important messages that I could give. And I'm not going to be able to do justice to it, but I, I, I want to pray that God's Spirit will speak to us. So before I go any further, we just pray together because we need to hear from God, not from me. So let's pray today. God, we've prayed a lot this morning, but I just ask now in these next moments that my words will not be mine, but that we would all have ears to hear from you. I pray that you would speak to us through your word, that you give us the same important reminder that the Philippian church needed to hear, that we in our culture need to hear today. So we're going to trust that you're going to hear us and answer this prayer, and we ask by faith in Jesus' name. Amen. A reminder for God's people in Philippians chapter 3, if you can turn there with me, we looked at uh, last week just the first two verses. I was really trying to stress to you, similarly to Paul, as he writes that it's no trouble for me to write these things to you, that if you are going to be rooted in sound doctrine, it's going to require, put a bunch of R words together, do you remember what it's going to require? Repetition. That's right, you're not going to get it after one time. It's the type of thing that we need to be reminded of. Our brains are like leaky buckets, right? What are you going to do with a leaky bucket? Filling it back up again, and the same is true for us. For us to begin to pattern our life after this, we need to hear it again and again and again. Secondly, the, the emphasis of what Paul says as being no trouble for him to write has nothing to do with him writing. has everything to do with the Philippians listening. And so if you want protection from the dangers that lit, lurk, for confusing Christians to think holding on to your seat cushion is do you any good, you need to pay attention. This is Paul's call. If you want protection, you need to pay attention. And then uh, I think thirdly, just in review of last Sunday, um, the warning was given three times. In the translation of the NIV, it only shows up once. But do you remember what it was? Watch out. You need to watch out. Because this danger is out there. There are false teachers out there. The primary scope of what I tried to emphasize last um, Sunday was the concept of the exclusivity of Christ. Remember that? It's the same topic as today, but it's going to be nuanced in a little different, different way. Last Sunday was the emphasis that Jesus alone saves. Meaning, you can't turn to anyone else but Jesus. Remember his words? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Either Jesus is right or wrong. No one can come to the Father but through me. Either Jesus is right or wrong. Our passage in the book of Acts, that there is no name given unto man under heaven by which we must be saved. And then the name of who? Look, it's either right or it's wrong. And so the exclusivity of Jesus Christ was to see Jesus alone in the scope of anyone else, of any other system of belief. It's through Jesus alone. And we really had to wrestle with that truth. Again, this is the same topic that we're going to cover today, the exclusivity of Jesus. But now we're going to examine, is Jesus alone in his work sufficient? Or do we need to add something to it? That's, that's the question of the exclusivity of Jesus today. What, was Jesus' death on the cross enough for us? Or does God say, look, I got the ball rolling with Jesus and now it's up to you. Or is it through Jesus alone that we find salvation? 
Because this was the issue in Paul's day. And so we're going to read in Philippians 3 again through verse 11. And then I'm going to work through some observations. If you see in your sermon notes, it's a pretty decent list. Uh, I'm going to try to work through it kind of quickly today. And, you know, for me, that means like an hour and a half. So <clears throat> just we're going to do the best we can. Um, so if you can follow along with me, uh, let me read these verses and then let's let's walk through it. Again, verse one of chapter three, Paul says, finally, my brothers rejoice in the Lord. It's no trouble for me to write the same things to you again. It's a safeguard to you. Watch out for those dogs, those men who do evil, those mutilators of the flesh, for it is we who are the circumcision. We who worship by the spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If anyone else thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. In regards to the law, Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church. As for legalistic righteousness, faultless. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What's more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own, That comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing his sufferings, becoming like him in his death and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. All right. There, there, there's a lot that's going on here. And, and I reviewed with you kind of the first three points, but I want to remind you of the fourth one because the fourth one is the full scope of today's message. The command that's given to us in verse one is rejoice where? Rejoice in the Lord. And you might remember from last week, I was trying to emphasize that this idea of rejoicing is where you have, I, I got news that nobody else knows. It's going to be awesome. Nothing you could tell me is going to discourage me from what I know is coming. And you and I, we've been offered that hope in Christ. We know of the promises of God. And we live with an expectant hope that God's going to be true to his word. And so we rejoice not in our ability, not in what we've done. We rejoice not in the efforts that we make. We don't rejoice over the tray tables that we put up. We rejoice in the one who is able to miraculously save us from the crashing plane. We rejoice in the Lord. And so in order to unpack that, I have a few observations I want us to look at. The first one is an observation of identity. It's an observation of identity. It's who we are as Christians. It's how we ought to be identified. So the first one here is that the Christian, in terms of identity, has his heart ruled by Jesus. You have your heart ruled by Jesus. I want you to look again in verse 3. Uh, verse 3 is going to be the first four of these. So verse 3 he says, For it is we who are the circumcision. Now what does he mean by that? 
It's we who are the circumcision. Now, look, give me a minute just to unpack this because the Jews thought of themselves as the circumcision and just that word alone really doesn't make sense to you and I living today. Gentiles living in the 21st century to talk about circumcision is really something that you don't talk about in church too much. I mean, it's just not, it's not a thing. In the first century, however, that word alone was the identifying feature of those who have the covenant marking of God. And so for us today, we would call that maybe baptism. We've been, we've been baptized is what we might say today. In this idea that we're claiming that this human action that was done by human hands is what I'm holding on to. That's what I'm hoping saves me as the plane goes down. Paul says that kind of circumcision, that type of thinking is not true for you. He says we are the true circumcision. So what could he mean by that? Do, do you remember our Old Testament passage that Tom read? Out of Deuteronomy? It's a very important one. Because it's not simply a New Testament teaching that you are to... Well, let me give you a quiz this morning. What's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with... You sure it says all? It says all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. Loving God. This is found in Deuteronomy 30. Circumcision was only that outward sign of that which should have been true inward. Do you hear me? It was only the outward sign of that which should be true inwardly. God owns my heart. So when he says, it is we who are the circumcision, what he means is exactly what we heard in Deuteronomy chapter 30. That he has circumcised our hearts. Now remember, this marking that was placed upon the male uh, uh, Jewish boy or man, it was a marking that said, we belong to God. Question, is it possible to be circumcised but not have your heart belong to God? Is that possible? Is it possible to be baptized in a church and not have your heart belong to God? Is that, is that possible? Yeah, the, these outward things that we do, they're signs and symbols to help point us in the right direction. But the crux of the matter, the identifying feature is that my heart must be ruled by Jesus, for he has circumcised it. It belongs to him. That's what he means here. Are, are we on the same page? Say amen if you got this. Amen. Good. He says, we are the circumcision. This is what he means. Secondly, another identifying feature, he says, the, uh, the Christian's marching orders come from the Spirit. So the second thing he says in verse 3 is, it is we who worship by the Spirit of God. Um, this, this word worship is not the common one that's used, especially in John's writing. Um, Paul will use this elsewhere, but this word worship speaks of service. It's the word that was used to determine how those who were set apart for God would serve him. And in serving him, you would be worshiping him. But it's a little bit of a different word than the word that means to bow down and bow low. That's not this word here. So in verse 3, when it says worship, what it really means is that we take our marching orders from God. That's what it means. I'm listening to God to know where to do, uh, where to go and what to do. When I was in, um, when I was in high school, I was in the, the choir. And one of the things that I like to do is just sing the notes I wanted to sing. Now, my choir director, she didn't like that too much. But I did because I heard the melody going somewhere else. But she would constantly say, Ryan, sing the notes. Now, I'm not fitting well into the structure of the purpose of the director if I'm doing what I want. I need, to, I need to follow the orders that come 
from the one who's in charge. This is how it works with the Christian. When he says, it is we who worship by the Spirit of God, he means that those of us who are Christians, we follow God's leadership in our life. Everybody with me on that? Those are two identifying features. Those are two questions that you've got to ask yourself. Does God rule my heart? Or, or have I added him on kind of to the rest of the stuff I have in my life? You know, so I got the, the gym and I got the fellas and I got work and I got my home life and I got church. It's just this extra thing that I, I add on to my life. What was that greatest commandment again? Love the Lord your God with? Aww. It's hard to get around that word, ain't it? And then secondly, the Christian, uh, do I take my marching orders from the Spirit? Do I follow the Spirit's leading? Second category here is practice. So not who am I, but what do I do as a Christian? Again, in verse 3, you will see, he says immediately that we who worship by the Spirit of God, we glory in who? Did you find it? It'd be important for you to look back in the Word of God here, verse 3. It's worth underlining. In fact, if this were my Bible, I'd write number 1, number 2, number 3, number 4. Because number 3 here is we glory in Christ Jesus. So the Christian here boasts in Jesus alone. We boast in Jesus alone. This is the main issue. This is the one. I'm, I'm going I'm to work through the others kind of quickly. Not this one. This is the big one. During Thanksgiving, uh, my wife uh, just is, um, what's it called when you like pain? What's that called? You're a, a masochist, right? Yeah. I think she gets like that during Thanksgiving because she just wants to cook this huge meal. She can't even sleep the night before. She's so excited to cook everything. And she's gathering recipes and she's wearing out the checkbook buying all the different ingredients. I mean, it's pretty fantastic, I'll admit. It's kind of wonderful. Um, but she's up early in the morning cooking all day long. And then we have our friends over, right? We're sitting around the table. And then who's asked to carve the turkey? I am, right? So I get up there, I carve the turkey. I'm handing it out. People are eating it, turning to me saying, oh, this is so good. Mm. And I'm all like, thank you. <laughs> now, now can you tell what's wrong in that scenario who, who deserves the glory I, I, I just sliced the thing but I didn't put any of the work in I'm not the one who did the work I'm not the one who set the table I'm not the reason we're here you're, you're actually delivering praise to the wrong place you're boasting in the wrong one it belongs to somebody else this is the major issue. Uh, do you hold any shred of merit for your hope of salvation? Th- thank you, God, for what you did, but boy, you're lucky I'm on your team because I took us the rest of the way in. That's not it at all. I want, I want to introduce to you uh, two words. I'm going to get a little teaching right now, okay? Is that okay? Just a minute, all right? So here we go. Two words I'm going to introduce to you. Monergism and synergism. All right, these are very theological terms, but they deal specifically with this issue. Monergism comes from a, a two words, the prefix mono at the beginning, meaning alone or one. And the root of the word comes from a Greek word um, ergon, which means work. So monergism means one work or to work alone. That's on this side, right? Monergism. The other word is called synergism. The prefix here in Greek means with or together to work, meaning cooperative or it works together. So here's the question. 
can't be both. It can occasionally, and this would be a great question for a Wednesday Bible study. So for those of you that are coming Wednesdays, this would be great to delve deeper into than I can Sunday morning. So depending upon the nuance, we can talk about these, but you can only be in one or the other at one time. You can only be in one or the other. Either God did all the work, or he didn't. And some of it requires your cooperation. Some of it requires you to add to what he has done. Does everybody kind of get, get these two ideas? Now you tell me, which gives God more glory? Which gives Jesus more boasting? As type of salvation, where a medicine man gives a sick guy some medicine to help him get better, or a miracle worker who can raise the dead. Which of those two gives more glory to God? Do you see the problem? This is the primary issue for Paul. This is it. And this is why I say this is in the top ten most important messages. That when it comes to our understanding salvation, either God did all the work or he needs you to do some of it as well. Paul doesn't say that. He says, we boast in Jesus Christ. We glory in Jesus Christ. Fourthly, he says that the Christian here puts no confidence in the flesh. So there's nothing that I'm doing right now. Nothing on my list is going to merit anything. None of it counts. Everybody with me on these first four? They all come from verse three. They, they factor into two camps. Identity driven, the rulership of my heart, and my following the spirit of God. And then they follow after what we do where we boast, and how we look at our flesh. All right, fifthly, let's move on. This category is our achievements. And Paul, as he's going to walk through this idea of boasting in Jesus, he's going to say, look, you might think that you're a good person, but you ain't as good as me. Paul says, anybody who thinks he's got reason to be good, I got more reasons than you. So you see how well you might measure up to Paul. He gives us his list here. And they, they come in first, this categories of achievement. Uh, the Christian's inherited righteousness is empty. So Paul's going to talk about that which he inherited. Verse 4. If anyone thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. Did Paul do any of those? They were all given to him, right? That was all virtue of what he inherited. Paul says there's nothing there. It's completely empty. But there's nobody that could beat Paul. That was as good as you could get as somebody in the covenant family of God. Sixthly, he says, or he begins to talk about what he does now. And um, we're characterizing this as the Christian's earned righteousness is bankrupt. So let's see what Paul earned, all right? And as he continues here, in regards to the law, Pharisee. I want to break this down again because there's there's a lot of this that we don't catch because we live today and not then. When he says law, he's not talking about speed limit. He's not talking about state legislation. When he talks about the law, he's talking about the code given by God through Moses by which God's people were to be holy. That was the law. Now, if you were going to have a relationship with the law, the highest level that you could get to was being a teacher of the law who upheld and ruled God's people to enforce the law. What do we call those people? 
Pharisees. You see what Paul was? He was at the top of the list. There, 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 were, there was no promotion above that. There's no higher rung of the ladder. In regards to the law, he's a Pharisee. Now, some of these Pharisees, they, they just talked a big talk, but they really didn't follow through with it. But look at Paul. He says, as for zeal, so basically, how fired up were you on this, Paul? Were, were, were you just coming in, punching the clock and going home? Or did you really care about this law-keeping business? He says, yeah, you want to know how much I care about it? I was the one persecuting the church. That was the Apostle Paul. And on a completely different sermon, if you want to know how powerful God's grace is, it could turn around the greatest person who the Christians feared. They heard Saul of Tarsus was coming around. They hid because this guy would take you and drag you before the authorities so that you would be killed. They hid from him. But what did the grace of God do? Conquer that heart. Paul says, as regards to zeal, I was persecuting the church. So there's nobody that could top that. Again, he's at the highest level. And then lastly, he says, as for legalistic righteousness, meaning how well did you keep it? What did this man say? How arrogant, right? Incredible. You, 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 you couldn't hold him to anything. He was faultless. Are, are you hearing the echo of the words of that rich young man? What must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, first of all, he says. But you read the law, what's it say? I've been doing all these my whole life, he says. And yet he went away sad. The Christian does not hold to the seat cushion of your inheritance. Well, I grew up in this church. God doesn't care. My, my daddy was the preacher. Doesn't matter. Whatever it is that you received will for you be empty when it comes to the plane crashing. Will do you no good. Well, what about all the good stuff I've been doing? I mean, I've been doing some good stuff. It's bankrupt. You'll try to go pay for the bill on that day of judgment, and you'll find you're going to come up short. If you come up short and you still owe, do you get in? Look, stay there and beg all day, but I'm a good person. You don't have enough in your wallet. You have not merited enough to recognize God's righteousness. Everybody with me on this? Paul lists it out clearly for us. We need to see we don't measure up there either in achievement. So now let's look at the good part. Let's look at the treasure that's offered to us. Now we sang about earlier today. Firstly, the Christian finds riches in knowing Christ. Paul says in verse 7, But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What's more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Number eight here is that the Christian relinquishes all worldly accolades. Paul continues in verse eight. He says, I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him. This word rubbish is the Greek word for, for dung. Um, so dung is probably the most G-rated word I could use, right? Poop kind of PG. Crap is kind of PG-13. Y'all know what the R word is that I don't need to say in church? That's the Greek word. When Paul could choose a word to record for what he considers this, he doesn't choose the G-rated word or the PG or the PG-13 word. The word here for rubbish in Greek is subala, which means, well, it's the R-rated word for that. That's what Paul considers everything that he could do. The Christian needs to see that what we would hold on to here needs to be relinquished. 
Whatever good that you've earned here matters none. Zero. That's not where treasure is found. It's found in knowing Christ. All right, lastly, let's wrap this up. Number nine, how do we get righteousness? Righteousness for the Christian in having a right standing comes from God. This is beautiful. This is awesome. Martin, um, I think his last name is Shrikalay. I'm, I'm pronouncing it wrong. He was in the news. He was that slimy kid that bought up that pharmaceutical company and ended up charging, remember, hundreds of dollars. for. You guys remember this guy in the news who we're talking about? Yeah. Or how about the EpiPen? Do you guys remember the EpiPen, right? Uh, you get stung by a bee. A little, little girl gets stung by a bee. Goes into anaphylactic shock. She's going to die unless she gets this dirt cheap medicine that they're charging. Remember like 800 bucks for a pen or more? Imagine, imagine you found a cure. Imagine you found a cure. Eternal life. Now you can make, you can make a dollar off this, couldn't you? How much would you charge? In fact, I got some here. I know. No. Right here. There you go. Eternal life right there. This is all I got, by the way, and you got to drink it all. So um, let me hear uh, 10 bucks. Anybody? Seriously, nobody? I'll drink it myself if you don't want it for 10 bucks. 20 bucks. 100 bucks. You got to want to play with me this morning, do you? <laughs> if this were legitimate, I'm telling you, we, we would exhaust whatever you might have to pay for it. Is that what God does? Is that what God charges? Because if he did, it'd be like the super rich getting um, the only ones who can buy the cure. But that's not what God does. Look in the text again. Verse 9. Be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, that comes from my effort, that comes from my work, that comes from my merit, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. The Christian's right standing, it's a gift from God. And the Christian's salvation is by faith in Christ. That's where righteousness comes from. God makes it free to everybody. Now, it wasn't free to God. Do you know this? It wasn't free to God. What did it cost God? That's right. And so what this looks like is it looks like the plane is going down. Jesus has got a parachute, right? He takes off his parachute and he offers it to you. He offers it to everyone. Now you tell me, what good is it going to be for you to hold on to your seat cushion and the parachute? How's that going to end for you? Synergism doesn't make sense at all. You and I, we need to let go of all this. It's not by any good that I have done. It's not by any righteous thing that I have done. It's nothing that man could have done that makes me right before God. It's Jesus Christ alone. And you hold on to the parachute. And what do you do? What do you do when you put that parachute on? You rejoice in the person who offered it to you. Right? But you've got to remember, it cost him. He gave it to you. And he died in your place so that you can live. So let me wrap this up with a couple of conclusions. I have three of them here. Number one, the best that you can do on earth merits you nothing. The best you can do on earth merits you zero before God. The book of Isaiah says that the acts of righteousness of those people before God are filthy rags. Filthy rags to be discarded. That's what the good we do is. 
before God. So the best we can do on earth merits us nothing. I want to remind you of the New Testament passage Tom wrote. Galatians 5, here at the beginning. Mark my words, I, Paul, tell you. If you let yourself be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to you that every man who lets himself be circumcised, that he's obligated to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You've fallen away from grace. The path that was offered to you for salvation that was free, you got off that path. And now you're starting to walk by your own righteousness. For through the Spirit we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope for. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. So the best that you and I can do on earth merits us nothing. Secondly, and I was going to do this big fancy type of demonstration of taking off my tie and seeing how... See, uh, it's not dressing up for church that gets you anything, but I actually, the more I gave this some thought, I decided that's not what I think folks here in Segola struggle with too much. You, you might need to help me out with this, but I'm pretty sure when it comes to earning God's love, I don't think there's many of you that actually think you're doing it by being good. I actually think the greater struggle we have here is so many of you think, how could God love me? That you actually think of yourself as being unworthy of God's love. I can preach on both those from this text. And this is the second point. God's love for you, it's not conditioned on your ability. Hear me loud and clear. You don't deserve his love. I don't deserve his love. But it don't depend on you or me. He loves you, church. He loves you to die. For you. This is the passage out of Romans. If you bring your binoculars, you might need it for this one. (laughs) But now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. The righteousness, this righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There's no difference between Jew or Gentile for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance he left the sins committed before and unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Where then is boasting? It's excluded because of the law? The law that requires works? No. Because of the law that requires faith. For we maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Uh, your God, love, he loves you. And his love offered to you is not conditioned on what you do for him. He loves you. You got that one? That's kind of a basic message, but it's, again, very, very important one that we got it. Lastly, our perspective must shift from seeking safety now to seeking salvation there. I think this is probably one of the biggest problems that we have. Do you remember the rich young guy, right? What did he not want to let go of? His riches. Where was his perspective then? Here or there? It was stuck here. And so this, this is the place that we're going to have to come back to. I think this is part of the primary problem why we fail to understand 
uh, and really embrace the, the gift of God's grace is because our perspective is for many of us still looking here and now. I got to tell you folks, everything that you're working so hard here on earth for is going to burn someday. Seriously, the RV is going to burn. The boat's going to burn, right? The second property, all of it. God will destroy this earth by fire. So what are we, what are we, getting, what are we working so hard for then? You see what I mean? Your, your and my perspective needs to change. That we look to glorify not in this life, but find it in the one to come. I could preach more on that. I won't. Here we go. What do we do? One thing. This is it. That's what I want to leave you, leave you with. Rejoice in the Lord. In what he has done. I'm hoping that by hearing this over the course of two weeks, it's starting to make more sense to you than just rejoice in the Lord. Like, have a nice day. That's how I've kind of heard it for most of my life. Like, rejoice in the Lord. No, he's actually saying, rejoice not in the wrong things, but find joy in the Lord. And so in order for us to obey this command, I just have a couple of questions I want to ask you. Where do you find fulfillment, satisfaction, and joy? Because this is the question of the heart. This first question, remember the Christian's identity means that the heart is ruled by who? It's ruled by Christ. We are the circumcision, right? So where are your affections? What are the things that you really are fired up about? When I was little, uh, there was in Shopko's uh, little foyer area, this little like coin thing that you could turn and you could get one of these little toys that came in a capsule. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? As a little kid, I loved those things, right? Sometimes they were like little Lego figurines. Sometimes they were the sticky hand. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? You could whack your mom with it. Right? I loved those things. Every time we go by, I'd always ask, do you have a quarter? Do you have a quarter? Because I was so excited to get something out of there. Here's the thing. Uh, as an adult, even as like a high schooler, you begin to learn very quickly that what happens to those toys? Do they last? No. They don't last. Like the sticky hand, it, it works for like uh, an hour and then it's full of cat hair. <laughs> Doesn't work anymore. Right? The little plastic thing breaks right away. You see, as a child, a lot of my affection, a lot of my satisfaction, a lot of my attitude on the way home from the store was determined on did I get that little toy, but it didn't last. It was temporary. Everything that we have here right now is temporary. So where is your satisfaction? Where does your heart find rest and joy and peace? Is it in the promise of God that will never spoil or fade? Where moth and rust cannot come and destroy. Where thieves cannot come and steal. Or is it still stuck here like that rich guy? That's, that's the first question. Second one, um, again, I want you to know where I'm pulling this from. It's from the word rejoice. Is, is joy for you something that you find in temporary things? Or are you rejoicing in that which is eternal? The second question here, what is your prime focus? I'm getting that from the uh, prepositional word in. Here's what I mean by that. What is your prime focus? Do you know there will come a day when the saints of God are gathered around the throne and who do we sing glory to? The risen lamb to Jesus Christ. Now here's what I don't want to have happen. I don't want you to show up on that day and be like, hey, what's going on guys? What are we doing? I don't want that to be you. I don't want you to show up and not realize that this is what it's all been about. Rejoicing is to be in the Lord. Do you remember a while back there was that plane in New York that landed in the Hudson River? Remember that? What was the pilot's name? Sully. Sully. You guys remember this, right? Now, sometimes when I fly, 
what I try to do after I come up with my plan is try to fall asleep as quick as I can because it just, you know, makes time pass. Hard to do with kids. Amen from the young parents, right? But um, imagine you were asleep on that flight, right? Flight one, whatever, United, whatever, that went into the Hudson. You didn't even know what happened. You, you wake up and everybody's like, we're saved! And you're like, ooh, ooh. <laughs> because you haven't been paying attention. You, you, you're not there. They, they all on this flight, they gather together and they praise the captain who saved their lives, right? But you're like, what's going on? I didn't even, I didn't even know. I was, I was asleep. And the reason why this is a problem is because you and I, we just, our perspective's wrong. We don't see the danger. The plane is going down, church. But you and I, for a lot of us, are like, hey, stewardess, can I get another pack of pretzels? Because we're focused on the here and the now. So that's the end question. What is your prime focus? Is it on Jesus Christ? Is it on the man, the God man who saved your life? Or are you just waiting for the sermon to get done? Right? Like for a lot of us, it's serving God is just this extra thing that I guess I could do. It's not my everything. That's that preposition word in. Last one, um, is Jesus your Lord? And this is the big one. Is Jesus your Lord? Jesus cannot be for you just the son of God. Can't just know about him. Can't just believe in him. The demons believe in him. They don't worship him. He's not their Lord. And what that means for you is you and I have to learn to let go of our list. And we have to hold to the parachute alone. And we make Jesus our Lord. So with that, just hear me now. The plane is going down. Some of us here... We're trying to flag down the stewardess for another bag of nuts. Um, some of us here, we know the plane is going down, but you're still trying to tighten your seatbelts, right? Still trying to play the game of church. It's not going to solve it. Some of us know that the parachute that's offered to us cost Jesus his life. And boy, do we rejoice in him. Listen to the words of this hymn as I close. Beneath the cross of Jesus, I fain would take my stand. It's a shadow of a mighty rock within a weary land, a home within the wilderness, a rest upon my way from the burning of the new time heat to the burden of each day. O oh, safe and happy shelter, O oh, refuge tried and sweet. O oh, trusting place where heaven's love and heaven's justice meet. As to the holy patriarch, that wondrous dream was given. So is my Savior by the cross, the ladder up to heaven. There lies beneath its shadow, but on the farther side, the darkness of an awful grave that gapes both deep and wide. And there between us stands the cross, two arms outstretched to save, like a watchman set to the guard the way from that eternal grave. Upon the cross of Jesus, my eye at times can see the very dying form of one who suffered there for me. And from my smitten heart with tears, two wonders I confess, the wonders of his glorious love and my own worthlessness. I take, O cross, thy shadow from my abiding place. I ask no other sunshine than the sunshine of thy face, content to let the world go by. To know no gain or loss. My sinful self is my only shame. And my glory all.
the cross. Let's pray.